Wesley's just going to come now and do the Bible reading. Tonight's Bible reading comes from 1 Peter chapter 5. It's a whole chapter, verses 1 to 14. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording over it those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the Lord of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power for ever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you, all of you who are in Christ. Well, hello all of you and welcome. My name is David and um, particularly those who are visiting with us for the first time, it's really great to have you here and we trust that you have a great evening amongst us and we would love to share with you uh, a cup of tea and coffee and, and whatever food is down the back at the end. For everyone who's regular, I hope you have a great time as well. We're going to look at uh, the end of 1 Peter. We've been looking at this over a number of weeks now and we hope to end that off today. Just um, a couple of reminders. Next Sunday night, the baptism service. Um, so if, if there's anyone here who would like to be baptised and hasn't yet had a conversation with someone, have a talk with Daryl or have a talk with myself after the service and we'll um, talk with you because there is an opportunity next week for that. Um, so let me just pray as we come to have a look at the scriptures and um, ask God's blessing on us. Heavenly Father, as we come here and have a look at this passage of scripture and, and uh, we just ask that you will encourage us with it that it might say things to us which will encourage our lives, which might challenge us, and which might help us to live for you in a way which brings you glory. And Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, here we go. Um, it's not actually in the NIV text that was up there. It kind of starts off without this word, but the passage of, of 1 Peter chapter 5 starts off with the word, Therefore. 
In other words, what he has to say here to elders, and in fact what he has to say in the rest of this chapter, has some relevance to what he's just been talking about over the last little section, but primarily everything he's got to say beforehand. He just wants to give some concluding comments, if you like, to to encourage them, but also to challenge them not to get things out of sync or out of balance. He has been, as we've looked at over a number of weeks, encouraged them basically to be good, for goodness sake. If you're going to follow Jesus and he has saved you from sin and he has taken you out of this world to live for God, then live as a follower of God's. Live a good life. Follow his law. Do what he wants. He's gone on to say that when we do that, the world looks at us and says, you guys are weird. There's something wrong with you if you don't like the same sorts of things that we like. And that results in people who follow God's law, who do what he wants, as undergoing suffering. So he says, be good. When you are good, you're going to suffer. Make sure that when you do suffer, it's not because you've been bad, but because you're good. And then he encourages them and us by saying, but know this, as you've been saved, you will have victory. What Christ has done on the cross and being raised from the dead, you are going to be victorious. So look forward to the hope that you have to be with Christ in heaven and persevere through. Remembering at all times to be good and to love those people around you. That's kind of a summary of what he's been talking about. And then he says, therefore, and he's got these couple of comments that he wants to say to the church to tie up a couple of things. And we have that first part of the chapter, chapter verses 1 through to 5, where he has this comment to say to the elders and to the other people in the church and then to everybody and the common theme that comes through there is if you like this this idea that they need to be active in serving and being humble now I'm going to jump around a little bit in these five verses just to kind of give you the context of what he's talking about he's going to talk to the church he's going to talk to the leaders of the church Then he's going to talk to those who are young in the church who maybe want to do their own thing. And then he's going to talk to everybody and basically say to them, your attitude has to be different from the world. And he uses a different word for humility than is often used in scripture. This idea of being humble is the person who takes that attitude which is different from the world's attitude. See, Particularly in their society, my way of looking at the world was that I should position myself. I should position myself within the world's, if you like, social hierarchy that I would be treated with esteem. I should do things so that people around me look up to me. On some standard of status, I should behave in such a way that my status was higher than someone else. Because then they'll look at me and say, you're really cool. And I could look down on them and say, well, you're not. And we'd have that dichotomy going on. And the world operates like that. And when he says here, he says, be humble. It says, take on your attitude. Take on purposely. It's in the active voice. Be active in this. Take on the attitude of being 
lowly. Take on the attitude of being the person who is at the bottom of the social strata. Actively pursue that position. What he's basically saying is be different from the world. And he gives a couple of examples for this because he says that God is the one all right, who opposes the person who lifts themselves up, who is proud, but he shows favour to the humble person. This is his argument in these verses because he's just said God will lift you up. He will make you victorious. If you do what he wants you to do, he will bring you to victory, but be different from the world. And so in these verses, he wants to highlight to the church when you are going to operate with one another, don't do and operate with everybody the way that the world does. And so he firstly says to those people who are in leadership, to the elders, he says, when you deal with people, make sure it is not someone who is trying to gain a particular position or status over other people. Don't act like that, he says. I appeal to you as a fellow elder and witness of Christ's sufferings who will also share in the glory to be revealed. He's talking as a person who is a leader in the church. All right? And he says, I want you to be shepherds of God's flock under your care, watching over them. And then he says this, not because you must, not to pursue dishonest gains and not lording it over other people. In other words, turn the attitude around. Don't take this position because it's kind of where you get to, where you get stuff and you have an opportunity to tell people what to do, but instead because you want to be in that position to serve these people, to be examples to them. Change the, why it is that you go into leadership, is what he said. Just a couple of comments on the side for those who are interested in these things. It says in the NIV, I appeal to you as a fellow witness, comma, and as a, a witness of Christ's sufferings, that the word hello there probably I think actually refers to both of them so he's actually not just saying I'm a fellow elder with you but I've been a witness of Christ's sufferings therefore listen to me but he's actually saying I am a fellow elder and a fellow witness in the same sense that Aaron talked about being a witness to Christ I'm someone who shares the sufferings of Christ with people he's saying I'm like you I'm in the same position that you're at I'm a leader and I'm also someone who's declaring the suffering of Christ in my life and the things that I do. And I also with you will one day share in that glory. But that attitude that I have should be evidenced, and I encourage you to have it evidenced, where you understand that the people whom you have an opportunity to lead are God's, not yours. He says, be shepherds of God's flock. He's put them under your care. They're his, not yours. In other words, the attitude that the world has that if I'm a leader, I have an opportunity to say to people, do what I say. You're mine. I love being a teacher. I loved it when all those little kids worked in on the first day of school, grade 8, 9, 10, and I could just smile at them and say, you belong to me. I have had to learn a lesson in that. That's the worldly way of doing things. Rather than saying, you know, I'm really glad to be here. I want to be able to serve you, to be an example to you so that you will really love mathematics and physics the way that I do. That's probably what I ought to have done. I kind of came to that a little bit as I went further on in my teaching. 
But pretty much he's saying to those of you who, if you like, have walked with God for a while. It's not something where you're pulled into leadership where you might get something out of it, which is the way the world seems to think of it. But when you walked with God for a while, you actually want to be able to serve other people. You see yourself as lowly, if you like, having little status, but wanting to serve other people. And the way that you can do that is to be an example to them of everything that he's done in your life. One of the things that... I am constantly amazed at is the number of people who have walked with Christ for a long time in their life and they don't use it to serve other people. They know so much up here but they kind of sit and they don't do. And you talk to them sometimes and they've kind of got too busy in the everyday things of the world and they just don't get out there and just want to serve other people. Want to... We struggle to find, I struggle to find people who will mentor the younger ones, who will come alongside someone who's in their early 20s, someone in their 40s, and say, can I come alongside and encourage you in your faith? Can I mentor you in that? Can I lead that? These guys are too busy to do that. We all seem to want to get into our groups where people are the same age and and peers mentor each other. Whereas what Peter is saying here is, no, that the older people should see themselves as servants wanting to serve. And then he says, know that when the chief shepherd appears, you will see the crown of glory that will never fade away. But he doesn't just say it to the people who lead us. He says to the rest of the congregation, if you like to the younger ones, is the way that it comes across, you, you be lowly too. You take on this attitude where you're not trying to seek to gain prestige, honour, but submit yourself to these guys. Acknowledge that you've got stuff to learn. And then he goes on and says, All of you, every single one of you within the church, clothe yourself with humility. And an active decision that we're supposed to make. And then he says, Toward one another. It's kind of like that be submissive to one another. But this is this idea that I don't need to go around living my life in such a way to have one-upmanship over other people. I don't need to position myself with my finances, with my education, with the way that I dress, or any other thing whereby I conform to the world's status as to what is better or worse than someone else so that I can gain status. I should not do that. And when I'm relating to anybody else around me, I shouldn't try and put my status up. I had a good clip that I was going to show you where you had a group of three Christians who were one-upmanship themselves about the ministry that they were involved in. Right? Just this idea that it doesn't have to be the things of the world. Even within the church, we can go one-up. You get ten people in your Bible study group. Mm, that's nice. <laughs> We've got fifteen. You're up a little bit higher. Right? You tithe? I used to tithe. Now I have gifts as well. You know, we kind of one-upmanship. We kind of position ourselves. And what he's saying is when you do any of that sort of stuff, you're acting like the world. That doesn't mean you shouldn't go all out to serve God however you can. But you do it with the idea to serve his flock whom he gives you. And we're to serve one another. So that's the first thing I really would encourage you. Clothe yourselves with this idea of humility. 
the attitude of being done with positioning yourself according to the world's social hierarchy. Take the position of the lowly person, is what Peter is saying here. Don't take your victory in Christ out of proportion. Understand you still live in this world to be good according to what he has shown you and how he's told you to live and serve one another. Be lowly. Then he goes in verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. That's the way it says in the NIV. And in fact, I have to be honest, in most of the translations. This has probably been the most humbling verse for me to read during the week. The only, the only translation is not a good word. The the only um, paraphrase of the scripture which actually takes account of the Greek word here is the Message Bible. Which any of you know my thoughts about the Message Bible will be laughing, but. Um, in verse 5 he says clothe yourselves with humility it's an active thing we're supposed to do to put on this idea of being lowly but he's starting a new idea if you like in verse 6 and when he says humble yourself it's actually not in the active voice it's more in what we call the passive voice so it's probably better translated which means accept your humble status accept where you actually are therefore under God's hand that he will lift you up. This is the second thing he wants to say to people. He's talked about the first one, if you like, that they, they have this position of victory and yet they still live in this world surrounded by people and they've got to be different from the world so they are to, to not conform to that. But then he t- pulls up and he plays with words here because we are suffering under the world, if you like. We are considered as being lowly by them because of our relationship with God. So he turns it around, he says, actively be humble, but at the same time, accept where you've been put by the world. Don't fight against it. They look down on you, let them. They think you're nuts, that's okay. Because the position in which you've been put in, in which they see you is under God's hand it's where God has put you and placed you be content if you like with that in other words allow this attitude that you have got of, of one of humility where they actually look down on that and accept that accept that where you are is where God's Put you and living like that is a result of God's work in your life and that one day he will lift you up and leave that to him. Leave that to him. In other words, he then goes on and says, so cast all your anxiety on him because he's the one who cares for you. You don't need to worry about your relationship with the world when they look down on you. Leave it in God's hands. He can look after you. Cast all your anxiety on him and he will care for you. He will lift you up. He will look after you. But he doesn't want them to be, if you like, he wants them to be carefree. He wants them to be the sort of people who aren't anxious. 
but he doesn't want them to use that carefreeness, that freedom that they have to, to kind of just go all out and say, well, I'm going to leave everything in God's hands. So he, he's happy for them to be carefree. In fact, he's, he's encouraging them to be free of worry and free of care in this world which is troubling them because they're living according to God's purposes and plans. But he doesn't want them to be careless, so he brings in this one little comment about the devil. And verse 8 says this, Be alert and of sober mind. Cast all your anxiety on God. Understand where you are and all the suffering that's coming your way because of your walk with God is in his hands. He will lift you up, let him look after you, but at the same time, don't switch your brain off. Be alert. Be controlled. Be aware that you are in a battle. Acknowledge that the mighty God is the one who cares for you in that battle, but you're still in a battle. So pay attention. He says this in verse 8, Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We kind of get this idea that there's this huge battle in these words and that we have to be careful in case we get stabbed as we go along the pathway here. The interesting thing is that the word enemy used here is the word for adversary. It's more like a courtroom statement than it is about um, a, a battlefield statement, if you like. So he says, be, be on your alert because you have an adversary out there. You have someone who is out to, to convict you and condemn you of things in some sort of court of judgment where you're going to look badly and think badly about yourself or you're going to think badly towards God or you're not going to understand everything that God has done. He, he uses another word. He says the word the devil. We think of this as a proper name. But again, the Greek word has the word for slanderer. The accuser. He says, be on your guard against the one who is against you, trying to bring condemnation against you, who's going to be a slanderer, a liar against you. He's looking for someone to devour. He says, be on your guard against that. God's the one who will lift you up. Now, in this whole context, these people are being burdened down by all of the attack of the world. And he encourages them that God is the one who lifts them up. But he says, take note, the one who's against you is actually, if you like, accusing you, trying to take you out of God's hands. In the context, the devil is trying to say to us either because of the things that we've done wrong that we have no victory, that what Christ has done doesn't succeed. Or that because we're undergoing pressure in this world, God doesn't care for us, doesn't love us. Or because we're struggling in all those things, that God isn't going to be surrounding us and bring us through to victory. And I don't know how many people I talk with, but their concern as a Christian is the fact that they're struggling in life, they're struggling in their walk with God, and they feel insufficient. They feel unloved. They feel no victory. They feel guilt. And all of those are the sorts of attitudes that I think Peter is talking about here that the devil sends our way. We lose sight of everything that Peter's been talking about beforehand which is that 
Christ has saved us from our sin, we're no longer under condemnation, we are no longer headed toward hell, but instead we're a part of the family of God, we have victory in the future, and that if we live according to his way, he will guide us and care for us. And we get down in the dumps when things go wrong. And we worry when we fall into sin that God has now rejected us, that he's going to treat us not as family but as enemies. And we, we get these feelings that go on. And Peter's saying, no, be, be alert. Be careful. Be wary. That's what Satan does. He accuses you. He wants to bring you into condemnation. He wants to take away this, this understanding that you're in the hands of God. He talks about him as a roaring lion. Now, the words roaring lion are used in the Old Testament in a number of ways, but basically it talks about someone who is roaring, a lion who roars to search for their prey, to declare victory and to evoke fear. So this idea is Satan comes around to let us know he's there, but also really to say, I have victory, not you, or to bring us to be afraid that maybe we're in the wrong place. And this is all part of Peter's imagery here. So what does he say to do, verse 9? Resist him. Stand firm in the faith. When you have this condemnation come upon you, stand firm. Stand firm in what? Stand firm in the things that Peter has said. When you sin and you feel this overwhelming sense of grief, repent. And then understand that because of what Christ has done on the cross we are free from sin and we can walk forth in victory we don't have to hold on to that guilt like a burden that faith that we have in what Christ has done and assurance that it's real is what protects us resist, stand firm in faith when he says all this suffering is coming your way is because God doesn't love you you say no God loves me. Christ died on the cross for me. Christ died on the cross and took away the penalty for my sin. He loves me while we were still enemies. He loved me. How much more does he love me now? Stand firm in your faith. When the devil begins to attack you, stand firm in those truths that you know about him. Just a quick word here. It doesn't say to attack the devil back. It doesn't say to turn around and have a few harsh words at the devil. In fact, the scripture says that's just dumb. What do we do to resist the devil? We stand firm in the truth that we know about God. It doesn't say that we're supposed to belittle the devil. And this, for some people, I think will be interesting. It doesn't say we're supposed to rebuke the devil. The rebuking of the devil is, is God's business. Even, even um, the archangel, when they're disputing over Moses' body, the devil and, and, and Michael, he says, the Lord rebuke you. We have to be careful. Our response here in terms of fighting against, if you like, those attacks which are to pull us away from God, are to stand firm in faith, resist the devil. Because you know the family of believers throughout the whole world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. 
There's so many other people who are going through similar sorts of circumstances where the evil one is trying to drag them away from the certain knowledge that they are part of God's family, saved by Christ, loved by God, being taken to heaven. And what does he say will happen, verse 10, when we stand firm in the knowledge that we have of God? And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will will himself restore you, make you strong, firm, steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. We stand firm in that. God will lift us up. Why? Because he cares for us. Because his hands surround us and because he looks after us. So they're the two things he wants us to remember. Number one, when we go out and we're interacting with one another and we're interacting in the world and we are undergoing all of the the suffering and persecutions, remember that as we interact with one another, our attitude is not to be, we're victorious overlording it over other people and just translating that Christian truth into a worldly way of operating will be lorded over other people. He says, no, you have to understand. Actively consider yourself to be someone who is not seeking out to gain status according to the world, but understands your position as a child of God. Be lowly and treat nor seek to serve one another. As you do that, as you undergo suffering, understand that that suffering that you have, as a result of living for God, you are still surrounded by the love of God. And even though the devil, this is the second one, comes and tries to attack you, stand firm in the knowledge that this is what God has done for me. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith and God will lift you up and encourage you. We'll probably finish off there. The only bit at the end is the kissing one another with a kiss of love. That's actually probably more guys, guys and girls, girls. Right? In, it's like that in Ethiopia when I would go to visit folk, you'd go and kiss them on the cheek. It was just that, that way of that, if you like, that outward show of affection that you have for somebody else to say we're a part of the family. This is how he closes off his whole book. Why does he do that? I'm kind of skipping a little bit. But I kind of think because if the world is pushing these people away because they're not like them, he's told that we're supposed to love one another. He's told us that we're supposed to be submissive to one another. He's told us that we're supposed to show humility towards one another. And then he ends off this this whole letter with, and greet each other, if you like, with a kiss of love. None of that can be hidden, if you like, as an attitude on the inside and we think we're doing it. It's supposed to be out there and evident. It's supposed to be lived, that love that we have for one another as a part of a family. Whatever that physical display is. It's the smile on the face. It's, it's the shaking of the hands. It's the kissing on the cheek is that we're a part of the family. You know, the world is against all of us under the hand of God, our family together, and we love one another, we encourage one another, and we, we treat each other with respect. 
we're of a similar status and we love one another. So let me encourage you as um, you go out into this week and you suffer because of your walk with Christ. Don't be anxious about that. God has you in his hands. But also don't allow the devil to condemn you or to push your mind, your thinking away from the love that God has towards you. Live confidently, carefully in this knowledge. Why? Because we have that hope for glory and we're surrounded by a family. And these things should encourage us as we go off into the week. Seek for opportunities to serve one another. If you're not in a ministry where you're able to serve someone else, to encourage them. Well, find something. Look for something. Look for someone that you can mentor if you're an older person. By older, I'm talking 30 plus. Right? If you're in your 50s, 60s, look for someone you can mentor in the 30s, 40s. And it's not just guys, ladies as well. Find someone. If you've been walking and been a Christian for 30 years, and you don't actually share your knowledge and your walk with Christ with anybody, you're wasting space. Sorry. You've got to get up and share that with other people. Find some young person, have coffee with them, pray for them. Get alongside them. That's what you're called to do as a family. And if you're young and you've got no one to lead you in faith, find some old guy and say, how long have you known Jesus for? And if they give you an answer of more than 10 years, say, I want to meet up for coffee. I want you to share with me the things you've learned about Jesus. Do it humbly and you know, all that other sort of stuff. But have the opportunity to share with one another. Because as a family, we're supposed to care in that sort of way. So have those conversations after the service, looking for people of a different faith generation to see how you can share with them or they with you. Right, let's pray together before we close the service. Heavenly Father, I pray that each of us, all of us, as fellow witnesses of Christ's sufferings, that each of us will clothe ourselves with this attitude which is different from the attitude of the world. Not only that, Father, I pray that you will help us not to be concerned and anxious when the world condemns us or laughs at us but rather that we will know that in your timing and in according to your good pleasure that you will lift us up and bring us home in glory don't let us fall prey to the attacks of Satan as he tries to discourage us and draw us away from you but instead Father help us to serve you and to stand firm in the knowledge that we have that you love us so much Father, give us opportunity to demonstrate our familiness with one another. Help us to greet one another. Help us to encourage and serve one another. Father, I pray all of these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Okay, as we... um come and sing our last song um, let us sing um, 
and and stand firm in as we walk from this earth into eternity, putting God's kingdom and His cause first. So please stand and praise the Lord with us.
tonight you have promised that you will hold us up if we lean on you we pray that we do stand firm on your word and that we bring each other and build each other up as we go out into this week and we pray this in your precious name Amen please do stay and share a coffee together um, and greet one another again